host, Lewis Alvazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, Between Tools, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you may have. Just give us a call. Our number is 291-6901. And you use the area code here in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, which is 225. You can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States this morning. There you go. We sure wish you would. We always appreciate hearing from folks all around uh, town, all around the country, wherever you may be. Give us a call. That's it. 225-291-6901. Couldn't be any easier than that. <laughs> Got all the lines wide open, just ready, rip-roaring, and ready for a call. There you go. And, you know, right now is the perfect time to call because we have plenty of time to get you a full answer. You know, we're not rushed it at the end of the hour. Right. And if you would like to get an answer after we go off the air or maybe have a question or any time of the day or night or even during the week, you can always get your questions answered on our website, which hey. is agcoauto.com that is a-g-c-o-a-u-t-o.com there's a contact bar on each and every page just click the button fill out the little form that pops up and send it in there you go we appreciate when you do that it don't mind at all the effort of doing it but what it also does it gives us ideas sure for the show and such sure. as that in fact this week uh, i had a gentleman who emailed from michigan first name jeff and he was saying he works on a lot of his friends' cars. Okay. And he notices on GM cars the Stabilitrack light comes on quite a bit. Right. And wondered if we would talk, talk a about it a little bit. Yeah. All right. And we plan to do that. We're going to catch a phone call first. We got Mark online. Good morning, Mark. Hey, good morning, guys. How are you doing? Doing great, good sir. Good, good. My wife has a Nissan Note. I don't know if you have that car over in the States. But uh, it's probably a generic problem. So mm-hmm. the last few days, when we first try to start it in the morning, the starter, like, I can hear something spinning, mm-hmm. like a whirring sound, but it doesn't seem like it's it, It's almost like it's not touching the flywheel. Mm-hmm. It, it does sound like the starter motor itself is turning. Yeah, so I can hear something whirring when I turn the key, which, mm-hmm. you know, must be the starter because nothing else would be doing that. Yes, um, But it doesn't sound... So like when it's cranking normally, it's like, and then it starts. Yes. But this just sounds like something spinning. Yes. As if okay. not touching anything. Do you see what I mean? Yes. Mark, that is almost always a part called the starter bendix. And what a starter bendix is, the shaft comes out of the starter, and the gear for that shaft is attached in such a way it's like a spiral so that when the motor starts to spin, it thrusts that gear out into the flywheel. And it also has a clutch in it so that when the motor starts, for a split second, the gear is still engaged and it's spinning backwards so it can slip. Almost always, it's going to be a malfunction in that little part of the starter. Now, depending on how old the car is, on some of the older cars, those parts were available separately and they could be replaced separately. On most newer cars, you have to replace the whole starter motor. They no longer service those separate. Okay. So, yeah, we we only bought the car about a year ago. It's 2008. And I think the dealer changed the starter just as we bought it because mm-hmm. it was making a funny sound. Yeah, and he, uh, so he may have he gone back with a, a rebuilt starter. And sometimes the uh, rebuilt was I, I, a – Sorry, go on. Yeah, and sometimes the rebuilt – doesn't uh they don't change that bendix if it's work a new starter right. obviously would come with a new one but i would check with a dealership and see if they supply the starter bendix separately it's not a real terribly hard job to do you have to remove the tail housing and then it just slides off it's got a couple of forks that go down to a magnetic solenoid that engages it but on the ones that the parts are available you can generally replace them but like i said most of the newer stuff is kind of all sealed up and you, and you really can't get into it yeah Okay, so do you think 2008 is likely to be all sealed up? Or? That's about the time yeah. when they still had them, yes. Yeah, so if it was a 2012, I would say no. But okay. back, that was more like the older type cars. You just have to check with the Nissan dealership there and see. 
the parts department will have a breakdown and see what part they supply. Yeah, okay. I mean, I don't know if they'll even tell me. To be honest, I, I strongly suspect that they would have just used the cheapest starter they could find. Yeah, most likely. <laughs> that, um, it sounds like that, repair shops in England are a lot like the repair shops in the United States. Yeah, well, this, this is even worse than a repair shop. It's someone who's selling you a car, you know. Yeah. <laughs> the last person you want working on the car. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I suspected that they'd used an aftermarket one because I remember when we first test drove it. I don't know how to explain it, but it, it sounded different when it was cranking. Like mm-hmm. When they when they when they changed the starter and gave it back to us, the the sound of when it was cranking just sounded really different, almost like muffled. Yeah, hmm. and I was like, hmm, <laughs> that sounds weird. Yeah, so I kind of was expecting the starter to go out at some point. Yeah, that um, sounds like it maybe wasn't exactly right when they put it on. Just took some time to fail. Yeah. Yeah, so you reckon it's probably worth going with a Bosch one? Yeah, I would try to find either an OEM Nissan or you know one of the companies that produces parts for Nissan. You know, there are some companies that are OEM to Nissan, just like Delco is to GM and Ford, you know, Motocraft is to Ford. Yeah, I was looking at the. So I think the Bosch one is probably OEM. It was saying that it has a core charge, but I'm, I'm guessing that. They're not going to take an aftermarket one back, and they may the not. I would no. put it in a box and take it back to them and see. They, you know, some people will, some won't. If right. you don't bring it back, then the answer is no. Yeah, you know, <laughs> you don't yeah, try it. Answer right, always right, no. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, Bosch <laughs> makes some of those. Nippadenzo makes some others. Uh-huh. The Denso is OEM on yeah. a lot of the Japanese cars. So you yeah. you might just do a little bit of research and see if you can find out who the OEM supplier was and see if you can get the. Yeah, so that there's a there's a company called Euro Car Parts, who I think a lot of the, the garages use here, and they have yes. lots of different stuff from different manufacturers. But I noticed the cheapest starter for that car is about £100. Um, yeah. And a Bosch one, which I'm guessing is probably the, the OEM one, is about 280 So it's quite yeah. a big difference. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and it's probably worth the difference. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Well, I mean, this one didn't last a year, so mm-hmm. if I get there two years out of the other one. Is <laughs> well, and the worst part, let's say that Bendix comes apart, hangs up, tears the flywheel up, well, now you're in the thousands of dollars because you have to pull the transmission and everything else out to get the flywheel out. So how much did oh, you actually boy. save? Yeah, so I, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't like to scrimp on starters. No. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I think I'll take your advice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, thank you very much, and have a great weekend. All right, Mark. Thanks for calling, man. Thank you. Bye-bye. Right, thanks a lot. Bye. Uh-huh. Mark Wadham from London, England. He listens over there. Yeah. So often. if he can call from England, we That's right. get some people then You have no excuse not to call from Baton Rouge. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> And they're about six hours ahead of us uh-huh. over there, so I guess it would be about four in the afternoon right now. That's not too bad. Not too bad. <laughs> <laughs> but like I was talking about, Jeff from Michigan had uh-huh. written, and asked if we could talk a bit about the, the Stabila track Stabila system. Track system, and that has been around for a number of years. Back in the early 2000s, it started coming out, and then I think by 2012, it was mandated on all cars. Right. And it's gotten increasingly more complex it ties into more things it's just like everything on an automobile you know it started out simple as a add-on system Mm -hmm. and it got incorporated and when it did like you were saying it just took on a A life of its its own own. yeah Yeah. every year i mean they look at these things and say well you know we could add this into there and we get an input from this and we can Uh add this and this and this and this so it just yeah. gets more and more complex it's, it's kind of like one of those hold my beer and watch this let's see what we can do this this year yeah well you know if, if they didn't keep changing the cars the sales won't have anything to talk about well there you go so but with stability track when that light comes on the very first thing to consider is are there any other lights on in the car correct 
simply because many, many, many cars, other systems will affect it in a way that it will throw us to track light, whereas the real problem is somewhere else. Lays, lies somewhere else. A brake pedal switch, for example. Yeah, brake light switch is one of the classic ones, which will set an OBD2 code for brake light switch. Uh-huh. But it will also set an ABS and Stabilitrack code. Right, because it doesn't know, number one, if the brakes are applied, or it thinks the brakes are applied when they shouldn't be. Correct. Also, a lot of cars, like most of your Toyota and Lexus products, when it throws a check engine light, it almost always Turns includes off the ABS and the stability track, simply because when there's an active code in the PCM, it can't communicate effectively with, with the other system. systems. So it throws all three lights on at the same time. Uh-huh. In all of these cases, and really I would suggest with most cases, Go after your OBD2 codes first. Make right. sure all of that is cleared. Then clear it and see if the stability track goes away before delving real deep into that because it's a much more complex system. Hey, we're going to talk a lot more about that and everything else as soon as we get back from this quick little break. If you ever plan to motor west, Ah, yes, Mr. Bigfoot. Uh, make yourself comfortable on the couch and tell me what has stressed you out. Uh, I'm just a secluded forest dweller, and I like it like that. But every now and then I get these people hunting me down. There's a TV show, jerky commercials, and now another movie. Then I worry about the hype. If they do find me, will my feet be big enough? Well, Mr. Foot, I can't really do much about these people, but I can tell you how to create some peace of mind in your life. Do like me and take your car into Agco once a year for a general inspection. They provide me an honest opinion on the maintenance and repairs I need now and in the future. They can even catch small issues that can lead to big expensive problems down the road. An Agco general inspection, huh? Oh, one more thing, Doc. Could you tell me where I can find this toilet paper? I've heard wonderful things about it. Here's Agco's number. And the name of another store that may ship some TP straight to your cave. Thanks, Doc. Get your own peace of mind and schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. If you're joining the Automotive Hour, I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, Twin Tools will try to answer any questions you may have. Just give us a call. Our number is 291-6901, and we've got David online. Good morning, David. Good morning, guys. Good morning. Uh, got a 08 Silverado. You know, it's wintertime, and so it's my wife's truck. Dave, the heater's not working. Okay. Okay. And so I check it out, and it appears that because I did take some of the dash off to look at the and help me, I'm getting old. I just turned sixty three, so <laughs> well, that ain't old, David. <laughs> I was just saying, that's not old. <laughs> Old's one hundred and sixty three, <laughs> right? But anyway, I checked the um, what do you call the? It's not the plenums, but the you know, little the box to make sure that the arms uh, are moving. Yeah, you yeah. know that it's closing and, and all that kind of thing. But uh-huh. the one thing that I noticed, I even in, even changed. I'm one of those guys. I know you talk about us. Stop throwing parts at us. You know, right. come see us and all that. But right. I do that sometimes. Yep. So, so I bought the little three switch thing, and thinking that what it was doing because what I noticed was the AC is not turning off, meaning that the clutch is engaging even though you have the well, temperature. Yeah, All that the way means, to the that, right but means. that's normal operation. Right. It will actuate both, and what it does, it's a reheat system because it wants to dehumidify the air and then reheat it to the proper temperature. So the AC will run with the heater on. So, 
so I shouldn't be alarmed at that. No, no, yeah. that, that is normal. That's normal okay, operation. Okay, good, because first I thought, well, that's it. Somehow, you no. know, it's like stuck no. in the on position no, no. because it keeps throttling, well, and you see, know. That's the problem with throwing parts or something. Is it, It's not right. logical. It's just the way they designed it. They found that by keeping the compressor on, they can dehumidify the air and then just warm it back to the temperature they want, so you get dehumidified air rather than moist air. Right. So it defrosts the windshield a lot better and also helps protect the AC. It used to be during the winter it wouldn't run. It would sit there all winter and it wouldn't lubricate. Right, sure. But, yeah, it runs. The only thing that will shut the AC down, if the ambient temperature outside is too low, then it will just automatically cut it off. But it has to be pretty low to keep keep it from sludging. But what I would start with, David, before you do anything else, uh, you want to make sure that your temperature of your coolant is adequate. Because let's say it's 180 degrees on the coolant. It's, it's that heater's not going to work. It may get mildly warm, but it is not going to get hot. Uh, well, it it has know, to be up almost and, 200. And if I can interrupt you, because mm-hmm. I, I know what you're talking, you know, where you're going and all that. Mm-hmm. The thing that I did notice was that I thought kind of standard operating temperature for this was about the 212-ish or whatever. It is. Mm-hmm. But hers goes to like, I want to say 235 or so, it hmm. looks like. Well, you got to watch, too, because a couple of things could be working there. Number one, he had a lot of trouble with those gauges going out on 08, uh-huh. 08 miles. They even had a recall on it one time. Uh, sending units. Well, the, the gauge itself will yeah. read wrong and or a lot of them. Or the sending units can go out also. Right. Second thing is if you have any air trapped in the system, it may be actually overheating and not flowing water to the heater core. So right. you need to check those things. But that's the first thing I want to do is verify the temperature is right. And you can't do it with the gauge because those gauges are just reading. If there's any air in the system and the coolant doesn't hit the sender unit, it may read all the way hot or may read all the way cold or anywhere in between, but it's not an actual reading. Another thing you can do, David, just kind of real easy, is just go out and touch the two hoses, the, the inlet and the outlet hose, Sure, make sure they're both hot because yeah. if one's hot or warm and the other one's not you can have a plugged up heater core that's pretty common on those also in and out of the radiator correct no. well no in and out of the heater core back by the oh, firewall okay out of the heater right. core now yeah. you okay. got two, two quick connects at the firewall just come down a little bit and you got a hose there right just put your hand on both hoses they should both be almost equally hot now right. and be, they both be real hot be very yeah. careful about doing that because those quick connects are prone to leakage if they get moved around a lot. Right. Yeah. And you may end up creating a coolant leak if you start moving yeah. those hoses around too much. Yeah. So, and I, I knew the other piece of data to give to you, and mm-hmm. that is that eventually it may come on, meaning, the, I say come on, the heater may begin working and all of a sudden it is warming because... After I put the switch in and I'm mm-hmm. thinking, oh, and I got in it, started up, wait till it got to normal operating temperature. Mm-hmm. It's like, yep, heater works, you know, we're okay. fixed and all this. So I mean, is it then getting, my wife drives it and goes, no, Dave, it's cold. Yeah, is it getting to full temperature? I mean, it's, it's, it's real hot like it always has been when it starts to work? Yeah, I think so. And does it start all of a sudden? I mean, it uh, no, I don't. I, I really can't comment on that. Yeah, I, I because really you want to make sure it's not like eventually heating up or the air bubble is acting up goes through and comes back again those kind of crazy things but if it to me if it gets as hot as it ever did and it does it all of a sudden then we are probably talking about electrical issue and those actuators give a lot of trouble although most of the time when they fail they fail in the way they keep the heater on but it could fail either way but the heater actuator can get off sync in fact if you go into my website and just type in actuator it'll give you a procedure for resetting those Really? Yeah. Okay. And yeah. if a reset helps it Im- immediately, 
then you probably got a bad actuator because they'll they don't just get all sync normally. But right. if it gets out of sync, you reset and it works for a little while and it quits working. Then you're probably into a bad actuator. It's, lo- yeah. it's losing its counts. There are a couple other things you can check. Make sure you have a good connection at the battery, where the battery cables are tight on the battery and not loose. Right. Because right. if you get a spike in voltage or a loss of voltage, yeah. those those actuators will we'll lose their sync. They won't home correctly again. So really? Yeah. Any, any bad connection anywhere yeah, that, in that and system. And that will generally occur during cranking because right. that's when you're pulling the most amperage. So, and it's yeah. not necessarily going to show up as anything else. Yeah. You may get enough, you know, 8 volts would crank your truck. Right. But if that voltage drops below 10 volts, it's going to reset all those motors and they don't know where they're at. And don't so know, yeah. they may be commanding one position, but if the counts are off... It can yeah. be moving it to heat or moving it to cold when it shouldn't. That, that's, right. that's really common on Ford. I don't see it too much on GM, but it could happen. Yeah. So, and that's the word I was looking for a while ago, the actuators. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. The, um, you there's, know, the, uh, the, sort of the mixing box and all right. that. Yeah, there, I checked all right. those. Four of them, and at yeah. least when I had it apart and I would turn the temperature gauge and all that, I could see actuators moving you know, op- uh, I'll call it, quote, open and closing. Well, but see, you don't know if they're moving right. open and closing. All you all know, you know is they're moving. moving. They may be moving from halfway to halfway to other way or something. You know, right. Because they're not yeah. necessarily in time. The right. way that works, it's got what they call counts. And from open to close, 128 counts. And yeah. it's pulsing. It's a pulse width signal. It's not on off. It right. has to pulse it so many times to put it into a heat position. Well, let's say it's already in the heat position. And when it pulses it and moves it, it moves it to close. Because yeah. it doesn't know. It doesn't know where right. yours it, at. It thinks open is home. Yeah. Yeah. So that that would yeah. definitely uh, cause an issue like that. Yeah, and again, if you could remove the actuator and then manually move the door to open, right, and it starts heating, then you know you probably got something off either in your uh, control panel or in the actuator itself, and you've got to have some kind of a scan tool that can right. read the counts to know which one it is. But the actuators sure. are a lot more common than the yeah the other, and and there's four of those in there, but right. one one just does fresh air. One does defrost, and the other two are your temp actuators. One left, yeah. one right. Right. Okay. Now, when it blows cold air and it should be blowing hot, is that the floor that's blowing the cold? No, it's out. At and the vent. Like, I'm one vent? of those guys that... Keep it on um, vent? Yeah, blow okay. through the vent, Okay. and um, it is coming out like... You can tell the AC is on. I mean, it is right. cold. Right. You know, like yeah. it's warm. You know, I mean, it's a little nippy out here today, and I'm going to... After we get off, I'm going to crank it back up to mm-hmm. see. But typically, it's like, that's why I kept looking at the AC going, Well, wait, the AC is not shutting off. Yeah, it is. No, it's not cold enough to shut that AC right. off. It's about 60 degrees. AC is not going to shut off until you get down probably around 40, 45 degrees. Yeah. It's going to run the rest of the time and just reheat. But put it on the vent where it's blowing out the vents and check both sides. If one side is warmer than the other. Mm-hmm. Or if one side's hot and the other side's cold, because generally if you're driving a truck by yourself, you're only going to feel the one on the on the left side. Sure, right. Because it is two different actuators. And yeah, the right. odds of both mm-hmm. of them being bad would be a lot higher than the odds of one being bad. Right. I'd lean more towards either low voltage getting into the system or a bad control head if that were the case. Yeah. Okay. And okay. You, you might also you try any- putting it at the floor and see if that affects it at all, because that also moves the mode actuator, and the mode actuator yeah. may be affecting it. Yeah. But two, should I also, and it, I mean, to me it's related, uh, and it may not be related as to this, but when check, trying to check this, noticing that the temperature gauge, you know, I'm look, I'm sitting in the truck right now and 210 is straight up and down right. where, you know, this is my wife's truck, so Should I don't be. drive it that often, but um, I kind of thought that's where, you know, the gauge needle, you know, kind of stayed. But now, of course, there's 210, 
space and then 260, so that's 50, right. so it's 25, so it's 235. Right. And normal operating temperature, or when you have it to normal operating temperature, it sits about 235, even yeah. though, like you said, yeah. that may not be accurate. Well, that, that but, gauge may be wrong. We've run right. across a number of those yeah. where the gauge is reading wrong. What you'd have to do is get a known good gauge and put it in a surge tank and measure the temperature sure. of the coolant. If you cool it yeah. around 210, your gauge is reading 230. You yeah. can either just t- choose to ignore it and realize that that's normal, right. or you can sure. you can repair those gauges. You have to change those stepper motor in them. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, well, All that right. gives me uh, some to think about, and uh, always appreciate and enjoy y'all's show. Okay, thank you. Thanks very much. Thanks Take care, call, guys. Man. Okay, bye bye. Bye bye. Alright, 291-6901 is the number. We're going to go ahead and take our second quick little break and be right back with a whole lot more. So lie back on the couch, Ms. Bo Peep, and tell me what's got you stressed. Ugh, my sheep keep getting lost. I mean, they're in the meadow one minute, and I look down at a text, and then I don't know where to find them. And they keep doing it. Let me level with you, Doc. Sheep are not the smartest animals. <laughs> Not you, Denise. You're the exception. Look, Doc, you ever try to have a conversation with a sheep? It's a little one-sided. They just look at you with this blank look on their faces. That and the whole getting lost thing has me at my wit's end. I can't really help you with losing sheep, but I can tell you how to get a little peace of mind. Do like me and take your car into Agco Automotive once a year for a general inspection. They check everything out and perform maintenance on what you need to keep your car running right, and it saves money in the long run. With the money I save, I can buy some shock collars to keep those little halfwits in one place. <laughs> Denise, you know I wouldn't do that to you. Get your own peace of mind and schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. Just join us the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alvazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. We sure appreciate you spending Saturday morning with us. If you got a question or a comment on the show, give us a call. It's 291-6901. Of course, today we were talking a little bit about the Stabilitrack or the stability control systems. Stabilitrack is kind of a GM term. GM term, right. It's, I think Toyota uses VSC. VSC, vehicle skid control, I think. I think so. And yeah. Ford may use something different and Nissan. Each one of them has their own little acronym, so Basically, it's not going to be constant. But what we're talking about is a traction control system. Correct. Now, just to back up a little bit, the traction control system is an outgrowth from the anti-lock braking systems that came along back in the oh, early 80s, 80s, yeah. 80s and 90s. And what the ABS system or anti-lock braking system tries to do is it has a sensor or sensors. It's watching the speed of the wheels. Correct. And some of them, if it sees one wheel slow down more than the other wheels, it realizes, okay, this wheel is now locked up. So it's going to block the pressure to the wheel, bleed the pressure off, and allow it to resume speed. Other ones know how fast a vehicle can stop with an algorithm, so they watch the speed of the vehicle. And if it drops too fast, they assume the wheels are locked up. So, again, they go through this situation. At some point, an engineer looked at this, and he said, well, you know, if we know that a wheel turning too slow is locked up, we also know that a wheel turning too fast would be spinning spin out of control or whatever. So they just basically changed the software, tied it into the throttle body so they could control the, the RPMs of the engine. RPM, and when a wheel starts to turn faster, or it assumes the wheel's turning faster, it starts. That was the rudimentary systems that came out at first. Uh-huh. 
Later, they start adding things to it to make it more sophisticated. They added what they call a yaw sensor. Right. And a yaw sensor can determine lateral movement of the car. In other words, it's supposed to be moving in a straight-ahead position. If it starts to move sideways, it's going to assume that it's in a slide. And it can go, at that point, apply brakes diagonally to try to pull it back straight. I'm not sure if some of the brand-new systems can't even turn the steering wheel well, they all into some the, of the new ones also the, with the uh, electric power steering has have uh, steering wheel sensors, right? So it knows the position straight ahead should be, and if it doesn't see straight ahead, and the yaw sensor is commanding saying that it's you know moving sideways. Right. In other words, if it sees the steering wheel position sensor is straight ahead, but the car is moving sideways, it, it knows, knows the car is sliding. So the first thing it's going to do is reduce power because it won't it wants to let off the power. Then it's going to again start to apply brakes diagonally to try to pull the car back into line. Uh, apply and release. Right. A, hundreds a, a of a pulse. second. Yeah, yeah it, it's, it's a pulse. It's not jamming the brakes on, right. which would put you into a spin. And then again, it may or may not even turn the wheel into or out of the slide, to depending on correct. how. Yeah, it's going to try the best that it can to figure out what's going on. And the thing is, most drivers, well, I'm not going to say most, but a lot of drivers, when they feel the car starting to slide, instinctively they hit the brakes. Yeah, it's just kind of a panic type right. thing, which and is stab on the brakes, which is wor- the worst thing you can actually do. Right. Because what it does then is that that tire stops turning, and it starts sliding, which you have no more control. Right. Of the the control gone then. Basically, what anti-lock brakes attends, you know, attempts to do is that. It's not really so much make you stop faster. But it's going to give you more control. It allows the car to be steered because if the wheels do not lock up, as long as they're rotating, you can steer. Correct. When the wheel locks up and starts to slide, you it's no over. longer steer. It's just going to slide. So this is an enhancement on that. And we're going to talk a lot more about that. Let's catch our phone lines. We've got Donnie online. Good morning, Donnie. Uh, good morning, fellas. Good yes, morning. Sir. Look, I'm going to take you back a little bit okay. uh, car-wise. I have a... Uh, a 90 GMC S15 Blazer. Okay. Okay. And I want to know proper procedure in, in putting a, a new tank on. Okay. What kind of tank? A fuel tank? Yes, fuel tank. I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah, that's pretty simple. Yeah, it's pretty straightforward. Donnie, there's two ways you can go about doing it. The way we do it at the shop is we put it on a lift and drop the tank out from the bottom, simply because that's simple for us. We've got lifts. We've got jacks that can support the weight and all that. What some do-it-yourselfers find it easier to do would be to remove the bed. On, well, yours is a blazer, blazer. I'm sorry. That, right. That, that doesn't apply. Yeah. Tank uh, has to come out the bottom. Yeah, it's going to have to come out the bottom. And obviously, if you can get the tank empty or near empty, it's going to be a lot easier. Sure. Because fuel's heavy. And if it's got 10, 15 pounds of fuel in there, it's going to add considerable additional weight to it. But, yeah, it's just a matter of removing the two straps, supporting the weight of the tank. Then taking the straps off. Yeah, dropping it down, but not all the way, because then you have to reach up on top of it, unplug your fuel pump and all that stuff, disconnect the fuel line and all that, then the it hose. just drops straight out from the bottom. Right. Some of them may have some components in the way, but I, I don't think that. I think the exhaust is on the other side on that one, and I think it comes pretty much straight down. There may be a shield under it, particularly if it's four-wheel drive that you have to remove to get to it it's but, a plastic uh cover yeah yeah, yeah, some, yeah some kind of a thing to help protect that tank if the if the cover is made up next to the tank with the straps underneath it then you don't have to take the cover off because the cover is going to come down with the tank yeah it may be attached but to the if tank. the cover is on top of i mean if you Over can't the straps right if you can't see the straps for the cover the cover has to come off first okay well I, i've actually taken it out i just want to make sure that i follow 
Yeah. Proper okay. procedure? Yeah, it's pretty it sounds, simple. Yeah, it's not my, much to it. I guess my main question is, is installing it back because I'm, okay. I'm going to have to replace the uh, the fuel pump. Okay. Yeah. Well, so I, I guess my, my question is about the fuel pump, installing a new fuel pump. Yes, sir. The proper uh, procedure for installing it back into the tank properly so it won't well, get leak right. or whatever. I'm going to tell you, the biggest problem, Donnie, that we see with that is that big nut thing that turns, get tank out. You've okay. got a lock, you've there, got there, a lock there, ring on top of the yeah, pump. Yeah, like a lock ring. You have to release that lock ring, and then the pump and everything slides out the top. Now, yeah. there Just, is a special tool to take that lock ring off. Because that is a plastic tank, that lock ring and that, that component there is molded to the tank. So if you take a hammer and a chisel and you start beating on that ring trying to get it off, you could damage the seal between the bottom, between right. the tank and the collar. And if you bend that at all, you go start getting EVAP codes you can't figure out. Well, the tank on a 90 is plastic. The same metal seems like it's metal. It may be. It could be. It may be. That's right around the time when it's, they started going with the plastic tanks. But you, if you got a metal tank, it's going to still be the same thing. It's very, very thin metal, and it's got like a nut that turns a quarter turn, and then it comes out. Right. Now, let me ask you this. Those three lines, I know one of them passes through the filter that's underneath the car. Well, one is your output line. That's go to the fuel filter. That's where yeah. the gas goes out. The other two are going to be evap, evaporative emissions lines. They suck the fumes out of the tank and vent the tank. Would it be a good idea if I have them loose on the front end by the engine to blow them out before I attach them back to the new fuel Well, pump? you got to make sure where you do it because they go into a charcoal canister, and if you put pressurized air on that, you may end up blowing. You'll destroy the canister. Yeah, you may blow the canister out, especially on an older vehicle like that. If you're not having any kind of a problem, any kind of a check engine light or anything, you're probably yeah, not going to have any issue there. Okay. You know, it all goes through filters and stuff, so it shouldn't give you any trouble. The biggest thing is just make sure you change that seal around the fuel pump, the big old ring, new seal there, and be very careful taking that ring off, putting it on. Like I said, we've got about 10 different special tools that do that. But I know most people want to get in there with a chisel and a hammer because that's the most logical way to do it. And if you beat on it, we I couldn't tell you how many vehicles we get in with a check engine light that nobody can figure out. You smoke test and it's leaking around that seal and somebody's beat the snot out of that ring. So that old ring, do, do you put anything on it? Or you, could, you... you can take a little bit of silicone, that white silicone paste, so it so the collar will slide, I mean, so the, the pump and everything will settle down. And then put the collar back on top of it, and you shouldn't have any problems yeah, out you, of it. You don't want any kind of a sealer on it, just a little bit of lubricant where it can right. squirm in there when you're tightening it down. Okay, let me ask you this then. Do, do you actually, do y'all actually work on a 90 model blazer? Certainly. We could, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, because uh, my problem is I can't, I can't get a, a reaction to, to the switch to make the engine, to make the starter react. Okay. Now, the starter is good because I've, I've, I've hooked it up manually, so the starter is great. But, I can't do it through the switch. Now, mind you, the vehicle has been sitting a little while, mm-hmm. but it was, you know, it was operable before, uh, you know, I moved it. So that little wing that's on your ignition switch, uh-huh. it broke off. So I don't know if that has anything to do with it. Shouldn't, shouldn't. That just, that's just really that's supports just, the keys and gives right. you a way to turn it by right. hand. That that okay. shouldn't be a problem at all. It okay. Sounds like you've got something electrical. Need to check, see if you have a signal to the starter yeah. solenoid when you turn the key over yeah well when i do turn the key mm-hmm. now let me let me just make sure i'm, I'm telling okay. you everything that's going on with it because when i turn the key and when i turn it loose i hear look i hear a little noise like a little click or something yeah but that doesn't necessarily mean no. anything what you need to do donnie go to my website and just google the, or just search the word starter and it'll show you a picture of the front of that starter. and you got the two big terminals and you got one or two small terminals you got to make sure you're getting a signal to that small terminal because that's what actuates the solenoid. 
if you've got a signal there and you've got 12 volts on the top terminal and you don't have 12 volts at the bottom terminal, then you've got a bad solenoid on the starter. If you've got 12 volts on both the terminals and the signal terminal, then you've got a bad starter motor. So, I mean, it's, it's pretty easy to check if you just got rudimentary equipment. And there's lots of things that can interrupt that signal to the starter switch. Yep. For instance, if you've got a clutch, if it's a manual transmission vehicle, it's automatic. Okay, it's automatic. Right. Then check the neutral safety switch. Make sure that that is sending the signal because let's say that switch corroded or some kind of critter got in there and chewed on the wire. If it thinks it's not in neutral or park, it's not going to allow the starter to turn. One, one thing you can do real quick is pull it down into neutral and see if it'll yeah. turn over. Yeah, okay, it, I think I've tried that. Okay, yeah. well, mm-hmm. then got to keep get, keep digging. Keep there. going because you got something. You're losing voltage right. somewhere. And, again, it all starts out at the starter with a voltmeter following the instructions that I, that I show on the website, that's the only way to really know where the signal's being interrupted because there are several things that can interrupt the starter signal. Okay, can I ask you one more question? Sure. I have a uh, uh, a 94 probe, mm-hmm. and um, the fuel pump is not reacting now. It was, but then one day I tried to start it, and it wouldn't do anything. How, how do I know if I'm getting power to the fuel pump? Well, again, you're going to have to go back to the tank and get the wire, the power wire, go between the power and the ground wire and check and see if you've got voltage there when the key is cycled. Now, you got to remember, if you just turn the key on and crawl under there and check it, it's not going to be because it only cycles that pump for a few seconds. In other words, it doesn't run the pump continuously until it sees the crank sensor turn. Okay, I'm, I'm going to tell you what I did. I, I got a voltmeter mm-hmm. and put it on DC. Right. I got underneath there and got to the wires. There's four wires under there. Correct. And there's a black wire and a black wire with a white stripe. And I saw a diagram where a black wire and a white stripe was going straight to the pump. Okay. And uh, the other two wires, are, I'm not sure what, where they are going, but well, they're one's, back there. Well, one's going to be the center unit and one's going to be the ground. And there's going to be two grounds and, and a sender and a hot wire. Okay. Well, I set the voltmeter where I could see it. So I got in the car mm-hmm. and turned the switch. Mm-hmm. And it showed 12 volts, okay. 12 point something volts. Okay. So does that mean that I have voltage going? Well, you'd have to check the ground side of it also. Because, see, you could lose your ground side of circuit. Some vehicles are wired in such a way that they've always got power and the computer regulates the ground. Okay. So you have to go to the ground for the pump and check between those two terminals by back probing the terminals. If you've got 12 volts between the two terminals, then you've got power there. Then you, your problem's going to be inside the tank. Okay. And, and, and what about the uh, under-the-hood fuel pump relay? Yeah, there's a fuel pump relay. But if that's bad, you're not going to have power at the tank. See, that oh, okay. would be the next step. That's not the first step. first step is going to be go to the pump. Because if you've got power and ground between those two leads, now not to ground, because let's say the fuel pump relay kills the ground to the pump to stop it, and the relay is bad. Okay, you may have 12 volts. You may have 12 volts to ground, your chassis ground, but you won't have 12 volts on that ground lead, which is what you got to have for the pump to run. Oh, Okay. So you got to go to where the power and ground are supposed to be. Check between those two. If you got power there, forget everything else. The problem's inside the tank somewhere. Not necessarily pump. It could be the lead going to it burned up inside the tank. But if you do not have power, then you start tracing back. Oh, okay. Okay? Okay. Well, appreciate it, fellas. All right, Don. All right, sir. Thanks okay. for calling, man. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. All right, we got to take our third, final little break, but we'll be right back with a whole lot more. <laughs> 
Hello, you must be Glenda de Goodwitch. Uh, relax on the couch and tell me what's stressing you out. Do you know how stressful it is to be good all the time? I don't want to be wicked, but sometimes I just like to not say thank you or pinch a bratty kid or stick my finger in a chocolate. And if I don't like the flavor, put it back in the box. Oh, that would be divine. Unfortunately, Glenda, I can't assist you with your goodness issues. Uh, but for peace of mind, schedule an annual general inspection with Agco Automotive. They'll check out your vehicle, perform needed maintenance, and let you know about future repairs. Sad ways, there are no surprises. Well, you definitely want your automotive repair shop to be good and not wicked. A young girl once told me there's no place like home. And I've got to go. Just bill me. I'll be somewhere over the rainbow. Toodaloo! Hmm, that little witch might not be so good after all. Get your own peace of mind and schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldersan, president of Agco Automotive. Got our lead tech, Mr. Brian Terry, right here with me. Between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you may have. Just give us a call. Still got a few minutes to get you an answer. We're talking a little bit about vehicle stability controls, vehicle skid controls, stability Correct. track, and all that. Of course, we can take a call on any topic some of the things again we explain roughly how the system works with going through the abs system mm-hmm. so you're going to have to have a tool a scan tool capable of communicating with the abs module right the, the regular little code reader tools are not going to access that no. information only if it sets an obd2 code only something that affects something else but you maybe. have to in a gym you have to get into the chassis module which is the abs unit mm-hmm. a lot of the other vehicles are actually listed out abs units and things like that right so you've got to have a tool that is capable of communicating with that system to get that code out just like with a check engine light a code will give you an idea of what circuit to start looking at it's not going to tell you what's wrong not ever some of the more common faults that we find the vehicle speed sensors in the wheels right those are something because they're out at the wheel they're susceptible to damage you run over a branch or whatever, the wheel rubs on it. You know, somebody left the clip off and the wire gets dangled out and it gets cut. Also, the connectors to those are somewhat bad, particularly with intermittent problems on right. GMs. If the connector is not made up properly, it may conduct electricity 90% of the time, 99% of the time. If every once in a while, it drops a signal. Well, as soon as it drops that signal, it's going to throw a code. Sure. Because it's it lost. Doesn't see the, it doesn't see the sensor anymore. So. Your loss of a signal or a circuit code doesn't mean the sensor's bad. And, you know, I've seen those those connectors. They come apart, and there's a little weather pack seal in there. Right. And I've seen those weather pack seals missing. Right. And they'll cause an intermittent code like well, that. Well, someone will unplug the sensor at some point. The little seal falls off. seal falls out. He doesn't notice it. He plugs Plugged it back it together. Now rain and stuff's getting in there. And it can either corrode the terminals where they'll short together. It can just corrode where they don't make contact all the time or whatever. Sometimes right. it just eats them away. But that's one of the more common faults we see. On the GM, the uh, modules go bad internally. Right. Some of those modules can be rebuilt. Mm-hmm. Some of them can't. It just depends on which module is on the vehicle. Yeah, because they use a number of different modules. And even with the same Kelsey Hayes system, there's a number of different models. There are. Depending on what options that the vehicle have. So, yeah, the module itself will give some trouble. Some of the other things that you might not think of, a bad enough strut or shock on the vehicle can cause the tire to bounce around enough. And if it does, let's say it leaves the, the, the road for road. a split second, it can throw a code for sure. either ABS or traction control. Right. Something that you wouldn't really think of relating. 
Another really weird thing is if you have a misfire in the vehicle, on acceleration, what it's doing, it's watching the rear speed sensor or sensors, depending on how it's set up. If the drive shaft speed varies because the engine's cutting on and off, it may think this wheel is locking up and releasing because the sure. engine speed is going up and down, and it, it can't relate exactly why. So it may end up throwing a chassis module code for vehicle speed or stability track or the ABS. I right. One. That's just the way the software is written. When you see this problem, set this code. Right. And it doesn't necessarily mean that it sees a wheel leaving the ground or, or right. locking up. Or it, if it sees an input that's not correct, it assumes that it's well, the wheel. It, it just sees because the speed that's the way the of that back wheel written. varying, and it says, okay, maybe it's leaving the ground, maybe it's locked up, so it's going to go ahead and do what it does. Right. It doesn't realize that the speed of the engine is, well, it realizes that too, but it may not correlate that that's causing this problem. But in that situation, you should have a check engine light. Yeah, you may have a misfire code also right. if it's picking it up, or at least you ought to be able to pick up on it in mode six data. Correct. One other thing, it could be like a bent wheel. The wheel itself is bent bad enough and it's wobbling. It uh-huh. can produce some harmonics, which could throw it in there. Another thing would be a bent axle. If the axle, like you've slammed into a curve and sure. bent the axle, anything that's wobbling. Even separated tire. Yeah. You know, a, a bad tire, enough tire can do that because you are literally losing control. That tire is losing traction with the road, so it's going to pick up on that. Another thing is a bad wheel bearing because many times if the wheel bearing is bad, number one, the sensor may be inside the bearing. So it's oh. going to pick this up as a, as a problem with ABS or the traction control system, even though it's really the wheel bearing that's bad. Mm-hmm. One thing that's kind of weird, too, we we don't see very much anymore, but back at one time, it was pretty common to turn rotors, and it was also pretty common to turn the rotors on the vehicle. They had sure. machines that would turn them on the vehicle. And what we would see, because these sensors are basically a magnet, electric magnet, that's reading pulses with a little tone wheel, if enough metal were to accumulate from turning the rotor, if it got down into that tone wheel, it could interrupt that. Uh, it would stick to the end of the magnet. Now it got an erratic signal. It couldn't see this wheel. We see that we still see that sometimes with brake pads that have worn down completely and they're running metal on the metal. Right. That metal generated will attract to that magnet and stop that magnet up. You know, you obviously have a brake problem, so you go in, change the brake pads, change the rotors, and forget about cleaning that sensor off and it'll start setting codes like yes. that. Yes. Yes. Particularly if you have a combination of another problem with it, like let's say you got an axle seal that's leaking or you got a grease seal in the front or C V boot that's busted. You got a little grease there anyway, which is sticky. Mm-hmm. Then the metal goes down, it sticks to the grease, and the magnet attracts it. And so anything like that. Another common issue we see with stability track that you wouldn't think would be related is someone will change the CV axle. Right. And they'll go to a parts store and buy one of these Mickey rebuilt, Moto rebuilt axles or, or new, the new Chinese axles. Yeah. And the tone wheel may not be made exactly the same. Either the, the little prongs aren't aren't evenly spaced they're too big they're too small and it's not turning and reading that pulse properly i have seen them axles come without a tone ring. come without a tone ring and they get installed and all of a sudden now we got an abs problem yeah or traction control traction control problem something else you need to be aware of is some of your ford rotors have the tone ring made into the back of them the ford trucks with the bearings integrated bearings right have a tone ring on them a lot of times those tone rings are not right Mm -hmm. you have to take the tone ring off the old original Put it on the new one to get the ABS to work correctly. Correct. We've run I've seen where, especially if you buy an aftermarket rotor. I mean, you go back to the dealer and buy an OEM rotor with the VIN number, you're probably going to get the right one, but they may have been three or four different options. Exactly. And it doesn't have to be, but 
10, 15 thousandths of an inch different diameter. It's not something you're going to see. Right. You may not even see it or even notice it. It just lives there, and you notice it. So, And a lot of your front-wheel drives have the tone ring built into the bearing. Right. So if you're changing a hub bearing, it goes in a certain direction. Make sure the tone ring goes toward the axle, right. toward the CV axle, because it will not pick up on the other side of the hub, and it will set an ABS code because it doesn't see the tone and ring And the anymore. bearing is just installed backwards. Exactly. The outside's facing in, the inside's facing there out. Is and they'll direction. go in either way. That's they are right. directional. Be very, very mindful of that because some of those bearings can easily be over $100. Sure. Press it in wrong, and it's you, you got to tear it up to get it out. Exactly. You cannot press it out and then press it back in again. So these are just a handful of things. Sure. And, Jeff, I hope that kind of answered your question. I know it's a little elusive, but that's just the way cars are today. Exactly. I see we're just about out of time. I want to start winding on up, getting ready to get on out of here. I'd like to thank our podcasters for listening this week and every week. Tell your friends, go to your favorite broadcast or rebroadcast service, find a written view, and fill it out for us, please. We really appreciate when you fill out those reviews because, number one, it lets us know we're doing a good job. But, number two, it moves us up in the rankings to where if someone types in a generic term like auto repair, we come up to the top. And there, and the ones at the top are the ones that are going to get clicked on. So That's that, where we want to be. That's where we want to be. Exactly <laughs> right. A preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.